This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hey everyone, this is Z Prime On the Grid. I am your host Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is co-host Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dylan. We have a holiday weekend coming up, and I will get to see most of my family that I haven't seen in a while. So I'm really happy and really excited. High spirits today. Wait, which, which holiday is that? I, I complete is for, oh, it's the Fourth of July coming up, isn't it? Yes, oh, the Fourth of July. Sorry, time has become an absolute unknowable entity over the past several months. I can't believe it's already the 4th of July. My goodness. Moving on from the horrors of my aging brain, unable to comprehend the basics of time, uh, let's get into the episode. We have with us today the founder of Motive Power, Angel Lance. Angel, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you. Um, I also have the horrors of an aged brain and uh, agree that the, the space-time continuum is warped and is no longer functional. Yeah, I don't know um, when I don't know where the train went off the rails, but it certainly it certainly has at this point. Well, I, I know exactly when it went off the rails. Uh, March sixteenth uh, is when everybody had to come <laughs> do lockdown. That's when the world came to a, or at least the space-time continuum. You know, like Spock and Kirk right now are floating around and they're thinking, yeah, time travel's not so cool. Like, I think we'll just stay wherever we are. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I will say that um, regardless of how your brain is perceiving time, uh, your brain has been sharp enough to found found a company and maintain it and grow it over 15 years. So uh, let's talk about motive power. Where did the idea motive power come from what space has motive uh carved out for itself motive power was really um created uh as a as an answer to a bunch of lingering sort of business ethical questions (laughs) um i was working at for delta dental in their it department as an it project manager and we worked with a lot of consulting companies of varying sorts um, IT focused and strategy focused and process focused um, consulting companies, and uh, leading several of the of large initiatives within Delta Dental, I worked very closely with the consultants, and um, I found the the experience really disturbing. Um, I found consultants to be um, very self important and very self involved, flying in on a Tuesday or a Monday afternoon immediately taking their dry cleaning to the dry cleaners and needing a Starbucks because they're off of a different time zone. And then I found their delivery to be always in the future. Like they were never actually giving value to the project at hand at the time. They always had something going on that we needed to wait for. And and then, and we never seemed to really get there until they handed me over. And this is belying my age now, but a binder, you know, the, like the magic binder of product. And meanwhile, they, you know, had exorbitant fees and I was having to absorb all their costs in in my budget in general. So I just found the whole thing really frustrating. Um, And I I found it also um, kind of, I don't know, just funky where people would come in with this, with these big pedigrees and these supposed big ideas, but then they wouldn't actually do anything with that other than get on a soapbox and you know, professorialize for a while. Um, and so I thought, man, this could be done better. <laughs> like, uh, I, you could actually, I mean, the, consulting has a real 
value in the marketplace and and if delivered maybe with integrity maybe it could be um something that that is really powerful i've i've i heard a very similar uh i heard a very similar story from my from my dad once when he was talking to me about um about lobbying uh he works for a native tribe up up here and he has to so he has to go to washington dc a lot and do do and to the state capital in Olympia to do uh, a lot of lobbying, and he w- once sat me down when I was when I was uh, in an idealistic crusade phase in in high school all against all lobbying because it was seen, because it's a route through which cor- corruption happens in, at a political level. And then he explained to me that you know that there that it's actually a very important tool for uh, allowing like my minority groups with the, that are underrepresented and I use minority in the mathematical sense here uh, to be able to have direct interaction with the people that can make change and it sounds like you had a had a similar revelation uh, with with consulting uh, which is basically the lobbying of the private world in a sense or well, I guess it, it's all and there's also managerial aspects to it too so uh, that that par- that parallels kind of is kind of uh, interesting to me the idea that um kind of collaboration is a two-way street and um these sort of relationships don't have to be inherently for lack of a kinder word parasitic oh that's the best word because i was really thinking at the time and actually i still think um that consulting can be can be a dirty word you know it can be like other dirty words and you know, like insurance brokers seem to be a dirty word, you know, like just things that, that take your money and don't give you anything. Um, and <laughs> which, which isn't good, you know? So um, I, I just knew that you could do it better. And I, and I knew that you could do it better because I was actively doing it um, in my role at, at that company. Um, and I just knew that you could be, you could be an, you could create an honest consultancy focused on actual delivery of value uh, without being, you know, self-important or self-aggrandizing um, and without trying to take people's money. Like you could, you could just actually do it for the dollar amount you think it ought to be done for. Not, not, not to get in to get more money later. <laughs> it seemed to be some weird platform for these big consulting companies to, to string you along and, and charge you lots of money to feed their big money machines. And I just knew that you didn't have to do that. And so I approached it um, really, really honestly, um, where I would go out to, you know, new clients and I would say, here's my plan. Here's my proposal. Here's every step I'm going to take. Here's what you're going to get out of it. Here's how much it's going to cost. End of story. Now, now, I, I mean, everyone counseled me, everything I've ever done, they counseled me that it's the wrong thing to do. Like I, they can't believe I'm doing it that way. And I'm so crazy because I, you know, as I went out and had this very vulnerable and, um, we say naked approach because there's this book called Getting Naked that has some business philosophies that we we uh, subscribe to, but just a very vulnerable approach about how it is that we would be consulting. Um, our, our you know prospective clients or competitors can take those solutions and run with them, and you know it's, it's like a gift rather than creating a business. But I really felt like approaching it in that sort of really honest way spoke to the delivery that I would be providing. And um, and the value that I'd be providing, and, and and it would establish a groundwork for the relationship that was was um, more pure, I guess. So it's definitely an idealist, a purist, 
naive, all sorts of things like that. But uh, come hell or high water, I was going to make it happen um, the way I thought it ought to happen. And how did you do, how did you end up doing that? I imagine that was a difficult endeavor, but it, it, you're I mean you're still here, you're thriving. So how, how did you how were you able to build that? Um, still here. That's you know I, I guess when you get into your forties, you get to hear stuff like that. You're still here. <laughs> I mean, 15, hey, 15 years of in any business is 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 impressive. Uh, well, I'm turning 45 this year, so I'm a little bit sensitive to all that. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you're still here. Uh, how I did it was um, was really very simple. Um, I uh, although I used to get in trouble when I worked for a big corporate America as a, an employee um, because I just couldn't stand the conformist perspective and. And like when people would draw on meetings to have future meetings and stuff like that, I, I would just, I would do all sorts of wacky things. Like I'd bust into song, you know, or I'd, I'd just start, I'd jump on tables. I would just, I just, I had way too much energy to, to be like in a big giant machine like that with, with, with such slow progress. Um, but the way I did it is I just, um, I, I really delivered traditional values untraditionally. I think that's really our special sauce in that you just, we just aim to do the right thing. And we, we came up with lots of slogans like do what you say and say what you do because, because consultancy so often doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, So often there's all this ambiguity and nebulousness around what it is that you're providing and how it is that you're providing it. And I wanted to, I really wanted to drive a service based business that delivered value day one via honesty openness and not know-it-allness, um, not saying you know stuff when you don't know stuff, um, and really uh, assisting clients with putting, you know, putting our heads together and solving the things in their businesses that were really, um, you know, hurdles or stumbling points for the, the true progress that they, they wanted to be and could be making. Um, but I wanted to do that with a sense of humor and without a corporate veneer. Um, I wanted to do it just as a real person, just with authenticity. Uh, so, and luckily for me, um, I don't have any other options. <laughs> so, um, so it wasn't hard to create um, that kind of a platform. So Angel Now Motive Power works across a variety of industries, but we're here today to talk about your work specifically with utilities. Can you just kind of describe what, you would consider your bread and butter is for the utility industry and how you operate within the industry? Yeah. Um, we focused on utilities. We are somewhat of utility specialists in that we have a, a long history of working in depth uh, with many of the different business lines within utilities. I think we have serviced most of them um, within most within the utilities that we've worked with, with, with one exception, which is the nuclear sector. We have not had the opportunity to work in that space. But electrical, gas, um, customer-facing stuff, IT, um, internal services uh, organizations, senior leadership, governance, all that stuff. We've, we've been involved with um, power generation, hydro, all, all kinds of different utility um, um, business advantages. Uh, and our bread and butter, really what we've had the most success in is deploying uh, project management office uh, skill sets. So we go in and we often are working on capital projects and primarily working on capital projects, infusing them with 
Um, not only high performance execution and delivery on those projects, either running them ourselves, incorporating them into portfolio sets, integrating them across the utility or, or other, um, but also uh, deploying tool sets and practices that allow for more widespread governance of those projects and more accurate delivery of those projects. Utilities really need um, to uh, be able to put together rate cases and put together portfolios of projects that support those rate cases and are able to execute on what they say that they're going to execute on to their regulators in an articulate fashion. And we have been very successful in um, helping them to hone their capital project business and helping to improve not only their process set, but also their uh, their maturity level within delivery of those process sets across their capital por portfolios. Um, that, that's really our bread and butter, uh, but it's kind of secretive because there's a thing in there that really is the bread and butter that nobody talks about. It's not yet a cool term. That's the problem. And, and that's really change management is when you when you're embedded into capital projects and you're working with utility capital project teams and you're driving new tools or new processes um, or, you know, efficiencies or metrics reporting or all that kind of stuff, integration being maybe the hardest one, uh, you're really doing it through working alongside your partners within the utilities and driving change in their perspectives on how they approach their day, how they approach their projects, their systems, and their, their, their utility as a whole, their business. So while our bread and butter is capital project um, delivery and improvement, um, I would say the secret part of that is our, our bread and butter is really um, effective person-to-person, department-to-department change management in delivery of, those, of that work. We've actually touched on this recently in, in Z-Prime research, really exploring change management. And I think it's an important topic for this reason, utilities are in drastic need of advice on how to go about managing change. Is that what drew you to the utility industry? The, uh, I guess I could, you could, you could say it was immense opportunity in that area because it had utilities have fallen so far behind on change management. Is that what drew you to the industry or what really drew you to utilities? What drew me to them was um, an, an, I have an innate and natural ability to want to track things, um, which makes me a really good project manager um, and really, really good at my craft. Um, I love to track things. So like scheduling tools and metrics and all, I, I'm a tracking crazy person. Um, and utility projects are, are so awesome for that. <laughs> you can track everything. There's, uh, there's so many different ways. Uh, and, and so in like, you know, I'm one of those people who can get lost in, in um, a scheduling tool for hours, you know? Um, and then when I come out of it and uh, maybe I'm looking at something from a portfolio view, uh, you can, you can literally tell the future from, from the things that you learn from this level of tracking. Um, so uh, the different facets of a utility and how how um, they're not integrated so often and they're, they operate as multiple businesses within a business um, and that they're, they're somewhat antiquated, right? So they, they, they don't, they're, or traditional is another way of putting it. They're not really focused on, um, on integration. They're not really focused on optimization. They're focused on getting it done, but not getting it done well or getting it done optimally. 
Um, so and what drew me to utilities was the tracking aspect. And then once I got involved in the utilities and found some success in, in really digging into the details of, of their portfolios, the second allure, if you will, were, were that utilities were not largely um, insidiously political places. I was I had worked in different industries and I, I, we still do, but um, that are just they tend to be more political and, and more negatively political. And I loved the the communal and community aspect of utilities and how even after you have a throwdown in a meeting where people are not getting along and they're disagreeing, you can go have a beer with somebody because typically it's still family oriented. It's still, um, I don't know, appreciative of the human experience where other other industries that I worked in, um, you know, were a little bit more snake pity, a little more, a little more corporate, a little more divisive. And so the tracking aspect um, and then the personal side of utilities where people uh, really are just trying to keep the lights on, or, you know, or keep keep their communities healthy it, it was the thing that I, I found attractive. A lot of respect for that industry. Um, and and now as I've gotten older, much older, apparently, um, I also have a, a deep respect for uh, public utilities impact on the planet and and the platform that they have to work with to really positively impact um, you know, greenhouse gas emissions and, and really the energy mix, not only in the United States, but globally. So, so my, my attraction to them has matured, I think. No doubt you've had your share of curveballs and unexpected punches to roll with. How is, how is sort of mode of doing in a world of social distancing and economic he- upheaval induced budget priority realignments, which is kind of a mouthful. Uh, so, but so in a more concise way, is consulting project management work in in higher demand, or is there kind of a short term scarcity of projects? Um, well, Motive Power is doing really well right now in in terms of all things COVID and I don't know domestic unrest and just the the hot mess that is our world right now. Um, in that we are communicating more than ever with each other um, and more positively, I would say. Motor Power is a fan, like a, fa- a big family. A culture is king for us and we are very uh, integrated with one another. Um, we're, we're a very um, flat organization. We don't have a lot of respect for those different hierarchies. And so we, we communicate and interconnect quite often. Um, so I think uh, the the wildness that's going on in the world has allowed us to do that more and and better, which is kind of awesome. It's also really um, driven home some elements of our of our culture that we really love. So that it, there's a lot of room for celebration there, and we we are um, in addition to reveling in our own hangouts, um, we're more productive than ever. Uh, which which of course has made me wonder, like, what were we doing in offices before? Hmm. Uh, but the, <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh, we, we're more productive than ever. Um, so that's all the positive stuff. The negative stuff is that we, are, like everyone, I think, um, not just us, but our clients, our friends, our family, uh, we're, we're, we're weary now. Um, and the, uh, the isolation, I guess, or the lack of the social network within our, our clients' um, infrastructures and our own is, is beginning to really wear on us. Um, and it, it just it represents itself in maybe fatigue and, you know, um, we're spending a lot of time like on Fridays, we'll try and get outside and, you know, do calls from outside and just do stuff to 
break up the ever-present Groundhog Day, like everyone is experiencing, I think, experiencing, I think. Um, it, uh, it's allowed us to get back to our roots in some cases, which, which is I'm really excited about, and I'm also wondering how we ever got away from um, as we've grown and aged. Uh, but in terms of communication with our clients um, I, and, and how our project base is growing or stabilizing, we, we've been fortunate in that everything has been very uh, stable for us. Um, and I anticipate it to remain that way for the most part, given we have, uh, we're a high touch consultancy. So we, we have in-depth relationships and partnerships with our clients. Um, and I think it's a testament to the value that we bring to the, the projects at hand. Um, but that's the positive side. The, the negative side is that everybody, I imagine your business as well, you know, is kind of holding their breath. Like what, what comes next? And, you know, and, and what does that look like? And we've already experienced things that are sort of beyond previous comprehension. <laughs> and so, wow, but that's normalizing. I think everybody is also wondering, hmm, you know, what does this fall look like? What does it look like? And everyone, I think, is a, a little bit, a little bit holding their breath on to see what comes next, uh, myself included, to be fair. To be specific about utilities, we, we service many of them across the country, and some, they're all acting a little bit differently, um, depending on what was going on with them prior to COVID and prior to, um, prior to the summer. Uh, some of them are clamping down and kind of paralyzed. Um, some of them are, uh, have been paralyzed, but are beginning to emerge right now, like as of this week, as a matter of fact. Um, and then others of them are really looking at bigger problems that they had in the, in the hopper already um, coming up in summer and fall. Uh, and really what, what's going to happen with those issues rather than what's happening with COVID. For example, um, we, we service uh, various utilities in, in California and fire season is ramping up. Preparedness for fire season is pretty critical in this state. So while COVID is a, something to contend with, um, fire season is also something to contend with. So utilities in this area are are uh, spending spending their their mental capital and their financial capital in attending to those more important needs. Oh my goodness, I didn't even think about f fire season coming up. That's uh, that's some that's something that's we get. Well, I live in Spokane, and there's all and there's always fires on on, on the bluffs and in, in the uh, basically in all of the really dry parts. And then because we live in a river valley, all the smoke just kind of coalesces in here and it it's bad i mean not as bad as you've had it in california with actual like dozens of deaths but it is just such a it's such an irritating part of the year that's coming up um, well it's statewide um and i and it's not just california like as you describe yeah. many other utilities um uh, you know fire seasons are real Thing to contend with this year we have a little less water than um previous years uh so it's heightened fire danger a bit um and then in addition to that uh, i don't know why but we've already begun experiencing wildfires uh, when normally in general general fire season it would be a few months from now but in the last the behavior of of the climate and of california the last several years uh, the fire, you know, Cal Fire and some of the fire um, officials 
are talking about how fire season is now every season. So we need to learn to, to like think about it year round rather than in specific times of the year. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real rosy outlook. <laughs> My goodness. Um, um, well, it's well, intense. I mean, in the, your work with utilities that you've been doing, what are some of the, the common mistakes that you have to help some of your clients navigate? Are there any kind of new ones that you see popping up? Um, well, that's, yeah. So I, there, that's a great way of breaking it out. There's kind of the legacy ones that, that are always there that I wish, I wish um, were different. And then there's, there's one that I think is, is kind of new. Um, I think utilities by and large, um, you know, they have big complex businesses to, to govern. Um, but there's a few things that they do pretty routinely in the portfolio management space that, that they don't have to do. Um, and, and sometimes it's driven, you know, unnecessarily. For example, I think utilities by and large um, make a lot of changes to their project priorities too often. You know, management will come down and say, go left. And then in a week they say, go right. Um, that's an exaggeration, of course, but cha- shifting major project priorities like that has wave and ripple effects through their portfolio. And um, while it might be necessary if they had done all this sort of risk assessment and analysis prior to that, and if they had any level of interconnectivity and understanding the integration of their portfolio, making rapid changes wouldn't be as destructive. But but they they tend to, you know, responding to um, some sort of stimulus. And, and I think they, they tend to drive their project priorities in different directions too frequently. Um, additionally, I think project managers don't estimate time and costs correctly. I just don't think they do that. Um, historically, pr- utilities have a really hard time forecasting their portfolios and the costs of their portfolios. And it's a pretty critical thing that they need to do. Like any business, you need to manage a budget, right? Um, and historically, utilities just don't do this well. They, their project managers rely on their relationships, not on their tools. They they rely on their their um, colleagues rather than their analysis. And I, I just, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy fix. Like this, it's not rocket science. And if you sit down, uh, there's a guy, uh, a horse trainer that I, that says an interesting thing that I, I think I, I, I like to say in Motive Power, which is if you take the time it takes, it takes less time. And if utilities would just do that, if they would sit down and really try to estimate things more accurately, um, Man, it would it would do them a world of good. Once they the the third thing I think that they historically had issues with is they once they get things up and running and a and a capital project is underway, they they really don't capture um, the right information about that effort to to truly govern it to success. Um, and I, I I know that these three things are really prevalent in utilities because my teams go in and do these things and, and, and night and day differences occur on the performance of their capital projects. Um, and then people ask me, what's your secret sauce? And I'm like, it's unfortunately not that secret or, or that special. It's, it's really just that detailed tracking and, uh, you know, uh, management of the, of, of the, intricate components of a capital project and then sticking with it, the determination to drive through to success is the thing that, that I think utilities could really benefit if they, if they could get it ingrained in their cultures and ingrained in, in their ethos. 
Um, that's the stuff that's historic. But there, there's one thing that um, in the last, say, five years I, has really shifted for me um, that I wish I could just get them to do, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is really think on an integrated level. Um, utilities are historically very siloed and very um, functionally oriented. Right. So this department has always done things this way and they work within themselves and they, they don't talk to this other department over here who um, does other things, you know, so they, they they just stay within their own groups. And that type of business management is, is um, well, quite frankly, it's archaic now. And the way that, that the, our economies work and our business infrastructures work are in a much more integrated fashion. And if utilities could start to really recognize how your hydro group really needs to t- understand what's happening in your electric group and your gas group really needs to understand what's happening with your veg management group and all these different groups and how how they actually are part of one important integrated ecosystem they they could finally make that transition into today's business climate and i think that's their major stumbling block is that they just haven't shifted their mindset on on um how to operate in a faster paced, more digital, more change oriented world. And I, and I, and if I had to give them a golden key, I think that would be the one is just focus on integration amongst your, your existing infrastructure. I wouldn't want him to know from your perspective, what utilities are really missing specifically in terms of digital transformation and, and real business model change, what area they're struggling with the most, from what I can tell in talking with utilities, it's that exact thing you were just talking about, that those business silos, that lack of integration between groups to know what other folks within the company are doing and how you can leverage a digital platform across multiple groups instead of just one. So would you say that that's that's correct, that that's probably the biggest challenge or obstacle to overcome specifically with digital transformation projects? Yeah, I would. I think integration, like I said, is that golden key, golden ticket. Um, But I think it's not just within their projects. I think it's within their culture. Um, For example, they've got utilities, by and large, have an aging infrastructure. They have aging workforce. And they struggle to integrate new talent and and younger talent into their their world. Motor Power has been very successful at finding a really awesome bridge or marriage between um, the subject matter experts of a utility and an incoming uh, junior workforce and how how they have offsetting and complementary really awesome skill sets that can bring they can bring to bear. And, but it's that integration, integration of legacy into new, um, integration amongst their projects, integration amongst their business units, integration amongst their executives, integration amongst um, the movement of of green energy, of climate change. You know, so I mean, that's that's kind of taking one concept and blowing it across to everything. But um, but honestly, I think it's the quintessential thing that utility is missing now digital transformation or really just any form of transformation to remain to remain you know the viable businesses that they have been for so long of course that integration and making all those shifts would require my favorite term which is change management you know um 
just went. Uh, one of my favorite things is um, I had a utility executive come to me one time and said, Angel, like, how do you get young people to want to work at utilities? Like, what about us is, is, you know, attractive to them? How do you, how do you attract? How do you retain? How do you cultivate talent, particularly within, um, you know, today's young workforce? And I laughed because I was like, what are you talking about, man? You're already doing that. And let me show you where. And I trotted up a bunch of different um, young people who are heavily integrated into their capital project world, all within their early 20s and early 30s, and um, talked about what an incredible opportunity utilities present to a younger workforce. Um, this executive was, was a little surprised that all these young people were already working within his midst but, um, and, and doing so with passion. And I, I described how the utility is 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 kind of like the matrix, right? Like everything you do in this world is is really driven by electricity or or by energy, and no no one knows that better than the young person who has seventy five devices and they're plugged into their everything all the time, right? And their their entire existence is digitally oriented. Um, and they often have an, a, a mindset of, of global and climate change that they really are passionate about and want to impact. The utility is pretty much the most awesome platform for a person like that that wants to come in and really tangibly impact um, how, how energy is distributed, what, how energy is constructed, how energy is delivered, and more importantly, what energy's impact is, um, not only to the globe and to climate change, but maybe to impoverished communities or maybe to um, to other areas of, of passion and interest for young people. I totally agree with you on the opportunity the space allows for tangible impact. But I did have a question, which is, why did you think that executive was disconnected or not aware of the young people already working in his organization, because clearly there's a disconnect there. He's saying he wants to attract young talent, but he actually his organization already had. So why did you think that disconnect exists? I think it still exists everywhere uh, in utilities um, for, I'm going to say two reasons. One, um, it, it's a, it's a legacy industry. People are used to a hierarchical approach you uh, join it as a, maybe an apprentice or a journeyman on some level, maybe you're in the field, maybe, you know, it's kind of a, an apprentice like scenario. And then you work your way up through the ranks and then you become an executive, you know, after maybe 20 years of service. And it's typically a very um, step oriented career path. Um, that, that is very traditional. Um, so that executive grew up in that, in that infrastructure, grew up in that framework and is not used to looking at a younger person in, in, in a different shape of that hierarchy, right? Um, which is nowadays, that hierarchy is, is less real. <laughs> um, you know, someone can come to the table as a 25-year-old and have, have really impactful things to say and really impactful um, ideas and abilities and a utility is just not used to seeing them. They see they see a younger person within their midst. They assume that they are they are maybe not a person of stature or of status within their within their organization, not having major impact yet. Um, so I think that I think they the that executive just wasn't used to looking, and that's why I didn't see. 
Um, that executive also, I mean, as I've talked to many, uh, feel like the the systems and the the working style and the traditional, I don't know, perspectives of utilities don't appeal to younger people. They, they feel like younger people are, you know, um, they have that reputation of being millennials and being, you know, wanting a, a, a Tesla and a cappuccino um, and a foot rub every day when they come to work, um, which is not true. Um, <laughs> I mean, everybody wants a Tesla, a cappuccino and a foot rub, but um they, they, the, the disconnect is in what really drives younger people and, and what, because it, what, it, what drives younger people today is different than what drove them. What drove them was ascend, ascending the ladder, ascending the hierarchy, reaching prominence through experience and through delivery. What drives younger people today is impact and what impact are they having on the things that mean a lot to them. And, and how can they use their talents to drive that impact? Uh, so what was surprising to that executive is that Motive Power has found a way to really engage young and old people through that medium. And it was on display in his organization having impact. But it, it, he, like I said, he just he wasn't accustomed to looking at it that way. That's really insightful. And um, maybe, maybe uh, one way they can they can do that kind of do a better do a better job of uh, of looking and understanding this workforce is to make more matrix references like you did. Uh, <laughs> it is like the matrix, man. It's I mean, like, what is the electric grid? Like, just oh my like, goodness, that's yeah. true. That's true. The, if you think about it, the matrix itself was a utility because it was uh, <laughs> it was a system designed to generate to generate power yeah. for a machine race. Now, granted, that was by literally parasitizing people. So maybe utilities don't want that angle of the comparison, but um, yeah, I, I, I do, I do like how sci-fi the grid, the grid has gotten with, uh, with, with digital transformation. And I think uh, that appeals to a lot of uh, tech minded young people. Or tech minded old people. I, I feel like um, yeah. I'm, be I'm beginning to worship the gods of Star Trek. Um, because they, they seem to be like, they seem to have told us all in the sixties what was coming and we just weren't paying attention. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. It wasn't there. A, wasn't there a historical, wasn't there like a big pandemic in the 21st century that they mentioned? I, I don't know. <laughs> or, or maybe it was a war. I don't know. There was some, there was some big, there was some big event that happens around now, I believe in the Star Trek timeline. Anyway, <laughs> well, um, well, concepts I think are really pretty simple and pretty reachable. Um, I wish they were sexier and I wish they were more, um, you know, like explosive. But, but I think utilities, you know, they hire big con consultants, they hire, you know, McKinsey or whoever else to give them the keys to the universe. And often McKinsey does give them the keys to the universe. Um, but then, you know, McKinsey leaves and goes, gives more keys to somebody else. And utilities are, stuck holding the key, not knowing what to do with it. And I just really feel like, man, if we could like, let's take that key, it's probably awesome. And let's implement it. Let's actually do these things. Let's spend some time and some thought, take the time it takes and, and get it done. You know, let's marry these two ethos of the get it doneness, but also the integration and maybe the more, um, I don't know, maybe the more modern approach to, to, you know, the humor, human centered workforce.
Because I think if utilities can do that, and I know they can, and also I know they have to, I know they must, then they're going to be able to catapult themselves uh, back into the relevant and then, or maybe like back into the relevant and then beyond into the matrix, right? Since they have such a, a glorious platform off of which to jump. I think that's a great message to send home to uh, to our utility listeners. Uh, so Angel, thanks for being on here, telling your story and uh, putting out some good prescriptive practices for uh, creating a more energized workforce and a better uh, 21st century transformation. Well, thanks for having me. I look forward to further discussions on on really the specifics on on, on how to do these types of things. In, instead of thinking about it or talking about it maybe uh, at such a high level, like, you know, it's great to, to think about things at a high level, but it doesn't really matter until you prove it. So I, I love the opportunity to start proving it. I think I would love to drive that kind of energy in the getting it done and the showing of of, uh, of of little things that make big impacts and, and maybe just sort of simple things that make big impacts. Yeah, we'll uh, definitely have to we'll definitely have to have you back to get super to get super in the weeds on in terms of getting in terms of getting practical. So uh, we'll make sure to have people stay stay tuned for that. Uh, Aaron, thanks for uh, being being here and uh, participating in this discussion. Thanks, Dylan. It was a pleasure, as always. Uh, you can find our research and media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at DY Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.